Welcome to the Healthcare Plus podcast, hosted by Quint Studer and Dan Collard. In each high-impact segment, Quint and Dan bring together leaders and changemakers from across healthcare to discuss the latest industry insights, offer solutions to some of healthcare's greatest challenges, and provide replenishment and well-being tools that will refill your emotional bank account. With a focus on practical tools, techniques, and best practices, you'll walk away from each episode with ideas you can implement in your own role, organization, and community. I'm Nicole Webb-Bodie, partner at Healthcare Plus Solutions Group. Quint Studer and Dan Collard, your hosts, co-founded Healthcare Plus Solutions Group with the mission of having a positive impact on those that receive care and those that provide care. HPSG specializes in delivering customized solutions that build and develop skills to help healthcare organizations achieve and sustain high performance. Quint is a well-known author, operator, coach, and mentor to many. He has dedicated his life to creating tools and techniques that make healthcare a better place for physicians to practice medicine, patients to receive care, and employees to work. Dan is a seasoned executive with a passion for improving healthcare and leading organizations through change. From rural hospitals to complex health systems and academic medical centers, Dan has helped organizations across the industry attain best-in-class performance. For more information about your host and our upcoming events, visit healthcareplussg.com. And now, please welcome today's guest. This is a podcast I've been doing for quite a while. And I'm thrilled to have Tom Dahlberg with me today. Tom's a not only a friend, but he's someone I, I just admire as a human being, as from his, the way he manages and works with it, not manages, the way he supports and has a loving relationship with his family, his community, where he's been. He's just one of these pure heart people that I just and feel really connected to. And so I've known Tom for a while, but for those of you that might not know Tom as well as me, Tom, would you mind taking a few minutes and telling them about yourself? Absolutely, Quentin. Thank you for inviting me onto the the podcast today. Uh, I've been working in healthcare for about 40 years. I started off as a housekeeper and I was an IV aide and a transport aide. And I got to see healthcare uh, where it was really delivered in in the sweet spot. And over time, I took on a number of leadership roles. I've, I've led research organizations, analytic shops, uh, became a CFO, and, and, and all those different pieces. And each one provided a different lens. And I also am someone who actually experienced the healthcare system in a profound way. I was uh, back in 2001, I got very sick and was told I'd never work again and get in line for a heart transplant. And I got to see the goodness within the system and also the opportunities. And uh, since getting healthy. Uh, I've wanted to embrace that goodness. And what I saw as a key to that is the love within the healthcare system. And also using that love, address the opportunities as well to make things better for others. So again, I'm thrilled to be here. And Quint, I'm a huge admirer of yours. I know you had left Studa before I got there, but your, your legend was still there and getting to know you over the last few years has just been amazing. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, I love all the work you and your son do in so many aspects. We're excited. I know I can't come down to Pensacola pretty soon to speak in our community. So, Tom, where you really helped me, and this will take a little longer than normal on my podcast because it's really to hear from you, not me, but sometimes I just can't help myself. Um, when I came back into healthcare about two and a half years ago, um, people would call me, and that's why I ended up coming back. Um, for why I just couldn't um, contractually do healthcare work. And um, I got a call and it was from Bart Carriker of Airmark, Healthcare Plus. And he said, you know, Quint, I'm 
now the president of health, you know, Aramark Healthcare Plus. And um, I, I really loved your work in the past. Uh, I love the feeling of it, how it made people feel. And we'd really like to, um, I'd really like to find somebody that can do what you do. And I said, well, what about me? And he said, oh, can you do that? I said, yes. And so we've been working with them. And But when, when we entered it, yeah, you, you want to go back. You know, I want to go back to where I was a kid in Wisconsin at the cottages. I want to go back to a lot of things. But I found out when I got really heavily into it by being out on, in the field that you, you just, there's things you want to never lose. Certainly, you never want to lose things like purpose and all those things. But, you know, I don't use a fax machine anymore. I don't have the same type of phone anymore. And what I found, the healthcare environment was quite different. One of the things was the amount of new people. So, for example, 20, 20 to 40 percent of people in leadership have less than three years experience. So they came in during the they got promoted during the pandemic, became a leader during the pandemic. So they were probably working in healthcare beforehand. But I, I found it was much different for them. They were overwhelmed with everything that was going on. Num number two, some of the things that I've been involved in that was meant to build relationships, this is my perception, had become transactional. They become a checklist. They became an iPad. They became of, these are the questions you must ask every time. And I think healthcare people are very smart and they want authenticity. And I think the leaders want it to be authentic. But if, you, if you're told you got to use these words and these times and this script, you, you sort of lose it. So I was changing things. And, you know, Harley Davidson's CEO talks about rewiring Harley Davidson. And that sort of attracted me. You know, he talks about when he came in, some things they wanted to keep, but some things they, of course, had, had to change. And I started looking at it. And um, but then you, you wrote a column and you posted it. And I have so much respect for your research. And it basically said that HCAPs hadn't moved really since 2016, had actually in some ways decreased. Well, I said, well, that's before the pandemic. And if my philosophy has always been, if something's not working, James Collins in his book, Good to Great, says you look at the brutal facts, devil's in the detail. Maybe you should relook at what you're doing. Because it might have worked at one time, just like a workout, and then you got to change it up. So, Tom, what, what led you to that research and having guts enough to post that when you know we've got all these wonderful people working really hard on moving something that that might a you know might not take the fact that it hasn't moved up um, in a positive way, even though that's how you meant it. Because these are wonderful people working really hard in healthcare, Tom. It and that's just it. There are so many amazing people out there focused on patient experience and achieving the quintuple aim. And I know they want to make a difference. They want to make, create impact and betterment for others. And I became aware of the data going right to the sources. I'm going right to the sources. I'm looking at this because I'm not seeing the, the dial itself. And I'll give you a couple of quick indicators from 2015, 2016, that kind of started to shed the light on it for me. And then I was trending it since that time. So as an example, I was at a uh, large health system, well-known for compassion and empathy back in 2015. And we were talking about patient experience. And 
we were telling stories and we we're sharing stories. And I told a story about a, a, a housekeeper and how he was so amazing and he cared for the parent of a child who was incredibly sick. And we told these types of stories. And then leadership looked at me and said, but what about HCAPs? To your point about losing that relationship piece. I remember also in 2015, I was speaking at the PFCC partners, so patient and family-centered care partners. And if you don't know that organization, Quint, I highly recommend you connect with Libby Hoy. They do amazing work engaging patients in the system and improvement. And it was there I learned about ICU delirium. And coming out of Vanderbilt University, they were talking about how one of the motivators is HCAPs in patient experience. So what do they do in the ICU is they would um, uh, sedate patients because that made the families feel better. It wasn't the best course of action for the care of the patient, but it made the families feel better and it led to better HCAPs, better patient experience or patient and family experience in that particular case. It also led to brain disease. So there was this disconnect between what we were measuring, what we were incentivizing, and what we were actually doing as far as caring for our, our patients and families. And, and another quick example, I remember I was with all these healthcare leaders and we were talking about books and resources that would be, what was the best, what would be the initial resource for a nurse leader, as far as books that were out in the market, to improve patient experience? And of course, Quint, now your book, The Calling, wasn't available yet because this is back 2016, I think. And so I went to the place of, okay, so what we really want to do is engage heart, engage compassion, empathy, and love within healthcare. So I went in that direction. And the universal response was, no, it was these books on tactics. I'm like, we're missing it here. And this is 2016. And so since that time in working in the space and working in the quality space, I continued to track and I went to CMS and I went to others. And I was looking at um, Prescani. I was looking at the data and I saw the trends. And like you said, we have not improved on a national basis since 2016. We've worsened as of late. Uh, what also has happened during this time, Quinn, is we've had limited improvement in patient safety. We've had uh, we're wasting $1.4 trillion a day on services that are unnecessary. And when we think about now with the appropriate and keen focus on diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, which impacts across the board, 62% of workers think that we're not we're missing the mark. And I believe, and I'm seeing from the data, it's because we're missing the mark around the relationships, just like you said, and the love and the connection. Everything has become transactional. Even one of my favorite models is relationship-centered care model. And what's happening today is they're becoming transactional relationship-centered care. And we can do far, far better. So uh, I'm thrilled to be here and have this type of discussion. With you me. gave me the metrics that really reinforced what my gut was telling me. And um, but it's a hard message. You know, it's a hard message. And, and because when you go out and, and you speak, you, you don't want to hurt people because you're talking about love and they've worked real hard. But man, is it hard to change habits? And sometimes it even comes from the system level that even the people know it's not working. But like a chief operating officer of a system told me not to long ago, they pretty much been told they had to ask this many questions, had to use this type of tool to document it. And even they know it's not working, but you know, Tom, if I at least do it like you tell me to do it, I'll stay out of trouble because I can at least tell them that you're, you're telling me to do it. So 
tell, talk about your book. You wrote a book that talks about heart and love and connection for the people that aren't familiar with it. Thank you for asking, Quint. The book is From Hot to Head and Back Again, A Journey Through the Healthcare System. And it's looking at the system from both a patient perspective. And again, I mentioned earlier that I was told I'd never work again. I thought I was going to die. Um, and I saw the brokenness and I saw the goodness within the system, those fans, we, those flames we can fan. And it's also looking at it from a healthcare leader perspective. And what are those things that we can do and that we own as leaders? And so it, it, it's it's hot story to connect the, the hot. And it's also tangible, active things we can do to make a difference and improve care. And I appreciate that you had written a wonderful endorsement of the book and it became part of the AFA uh, Book Award for Healthcare Leaders of the Future. And, uh, you know, it was really a way for me to get out of my head a lot of what I was thinking. And I think that links back to what you were just talking about, Quinn. You know, the messages you're sharing, I'm sharing, they are hard messages. They're important messages. And when we truly love one another, we can have those hard conversations. And I see just again, as you noted, you knew it. You hadn't seen the data perhaps yet. I was learning it as, as I was looking at the data. The people that we're working with in these systems, they know it at a gut level too. You know, when we think about moral injury in healthcare nowadays, a lot of that is because they know the right thing to do and yet they're not positioned to do it. So there's great opportunities for improvement. And quite frankly, what I'm finding more and more, and not, not always say like 80-20, is people want it. They want to hear it. They want people to come in, people with, with stature such as yourself, and tell it like it is so we can make things better together. Thanks, Tom. No, I, I, you know, and I think when you go out enough, you know the best way to provide a message. You know, you're not there to be dramatic. You're there to be loving. And I think if people know you care about them, accept the message. And But there is a sense of relief when I... I mean, I had a guy post on social media. The guy that invented this stuff is saying that maybe it isn't working. And he was stunned that I would say that. And, you know, some things do work. But I, I think you make up a decision. If it's working, you should keep it the same. But if it's not working, you should relook. And I, I know this when sitting down, and it's in my book, Rewiring Excellence. I was talking to a nurse manager, and we were talking. Um, and they asked me to meet with the nurse managers, and I just was asking her about her job, how long she's been a nurse manager, and how many employees she had, which was 70-something, how many beds, 42, how many patients normally, 42. I said, um, when you're around, are there any, like, rules? She said, yes. I said, what are they? She said, well, I've got to ask these five questions, and then I've got to document them on this. And I said, well... So you have 42 patients. How often are you supposed to visit them? And she goes every day. And I said, so that's when you're on, when you're here, it's 210 questions a day. What are the odds that you can do that? She goes, I can't. So now we put her in a tough position. Like you said, you put people in a position. So I brought her back to early years of this when the nurse manager just made sure they hit every new admit. And then if they had to follow up, they did. And there wasn't scripted questions. There were, we want to make sure you get very good care. Here's who I am. Promise if something's not working, you'll contact me. And if they needed to go back, they did. And I said, is it possible if you could ask maybe one or two questions to only new admits? Is that doable? And you could see 
her whole body just go. Same, same thing with everything. So that's what we've been really focusing in on. No matter how much it sounds great on the stage, no matter how much the book resonates, is it something you can transfer into your your daily lives? The the magic of doable. So do you find how, how do you tell me some of your techniques that you're using right now to help people make some adjustments and move away from even though they might not realize it's come transcription transactional but many do to go back to that relationship that you talk about happy to and i do want to simply talk about what you had just said um when we think about quality improvement and, and quality in healthcare, and deming is the godfather of the space and he identified the 94 6 rule and the 94 6 rule basically says that if there is an aberration or if there's an error or a flaw 94% of the time, it's system-related. 6% of the time, it's individual-related. And what you did for that, that nurse leader was you, as a loving leader, looked at that 94% and said, this system's broken, or we have an opportunity to make the system better, as opposed to blaming the nurse leader for not doing her 200-plus questions per day, you said, I'm going to help you fix the system and position you to honor your calling and make things better. That's beautiful, and that's what we all need to do, and that's exactly the type of approach I try to do in everything I do uh, as well. So there's a number of different things, and some are more macro and some are micro. So as an example, when we think about um, measurement, we talked about age caps and, and all of that piece of it. Don Burrick at IHI has said in healthcare, we need to cut measurement by 70%. I know when I'm talking to the nurse leaders and I'm talking to the frontline staff and they're looking at their scoreboards and they're looking at, they're looking at so many data points, it's no longer information and it's clearly not wisdom and it's not leading to betterment. So I work with organizations to cut measurement and really focus on what are those critical few. And by the way, it'll be different by organization. It'll be different by different areas within a hospital. It also reminds me of uh, another point that Deming had said. What he did not say was, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. People quote him with that all the time. It's not true. What he said was, it's wrong to suppose if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. It's a costly myth. We still have to manage what we can't measure. And some of those things are like love and caring. So we can have proxies, but the actual feeling of it you can't measure it, yet you still need it. Also at the micro, uh, macro level, we need to rethink financial incentives in healthcare. And I'll talk to leaders all the time. I'll talk to the folks on the front steps all the time, um, on the front lines all the time. The research shows financial incentives around compassionate care provision do not work. What we're starting to do is we're taking that calling to your a wonderful book, we're taking that intrinsic desire and caring and loving and we're replacing it with extrinsic desires. Oh, yes, you can get more money if you will. My daughter worked in a nursing home and they said, we'll pay you more if you're nice to the residents. She was already nice to the residents. It was actually incredibly condescending and disengaging. We're doing the same type of thing within the healthcare system. So we have incredible opportunities to move from these transactional relationships, from these macro opportunities and fix them with such things as um, another model I'll bring forth is something called the Schwartz. It comes out of the Schwartz Center. It's called Schwartz Rounding. Um, and what that is, and I know you're a proponent for relationship-centered rounding, it's, it's when we allow the care teams themselves to round on one another. 
Because me as a healthcare leader, I have no idea what that nurse is feeling like as she holds the mother after that mother just lost a child. And yet her peers do know. And they come together and you position them to come together and love on one another and care about one another and allow them to have that time to really um, heal themselves so that they're better positioned to go heal others. So those are just a few macro and one micro opportunity, but there's so many more, Quinn. No, in my book, Rewiring Excellence, From Hardwired to Rewired, I talk about one organization. Truly, when they come in, every, every staff member sort of puts on the bulletin board where they're at emotionally that day. And it's sort of like a better huddle because healthcare people are in love. They're, they're nice, helpful people. So if you come in and say, well, I'm not doing really well, I, I want to know, well, tell me what's going on. And you might be something at home, might be something at work. It might be something you don't know. But I, I do believe, and when you look at, you know, employee engagement research, which is another thing that has gone, gone down, what hasn't gone down is people like their supervisor and they like their coworker. Mm-hmm. So the more we can keep funneling into their strengths, um, the better. So as we wrap up, Tom, a couple things. Um, tell us about how people can hear more about Tom, how they can follow you, how they can get more information on you. Uh, absolutely. So the website is dahlborghlg.com. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. Just put my name right in there. I'm on Twitter at T Dahlborg. And, uh, um, and I have a YouTube channel as well, Dahlberg Healthcare and Leadership Group. And that's where we also talk about uh, the, the stop bullying work that you referenced earlier about the work I do with my son as well. So, um, yeah, those are a number of different ways. Yeah, I was I'm thinking that it's not healthcare, but it really is. Um, I was able to read some of Tom's son's books on, on bullying. And, you know, mental health is such an issue with young people. And certainly bullying is part of that whole whole issue and i tell people if i had grown up in the social media age i don't know if i could have done it i'm sensitive without the social media stage so i think for those of you that have children or work school districts um, again we're bringing tom into pensacola twice once to talk about love in the workplace and the second time next year is to talk about um, bullying. So, Tom, you know, I love you, my friend, and I'm so, so very grateful you're in my life, and thank you for being on this podcast today. Uh, so much love for you, Quint, and your entire team, and thrilled to be here, and appreciate the opportunity, and and thank you for continuing to drive change. You make such a difference out there. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Healthcare Plus podcast. For more information about our upcoming events, visit healthcareplussg.com.